2 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother. For he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. And Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep master and rendered unto the king of Israel an hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. But it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And King Jehoram went out of Samaria the same time and numbered all Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, The way through the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. And they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Our text here this morning introduces us to uh, the administration of a man by the name of Jehoram, king of Israel, that northern uh, territory. And uh, Jehoram was heir to the throne of his father Ahab, and uh, he followed the death of his brother Ahaziah. And so now he is reigning here. The Bible tells us that he reigned uh, 12 years. And the text describes for us several things about Jehoram. First of all, uh, we see his sin. We see that in verse number 2 and 3. He wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother. I think it's interesting that uh, it's noted for us that uh, uh, the degree of his sin, it was not as bad as his daddy. It was not as bad as his mama. It'd have to be pretty bad to be as bad as daddy and mama, uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, but yet, even though it was not as bad as his mom and dad, the Bible says that he was still evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, and although we have the tendency to compare ourselves among ourselves and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But can I tell you, in the sight of God, that's the only thing that matters. In the sight of God, it was still evil. He waited as sin in his life. He followed the sins of his forefathers, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And, uh, and so we find that God doesn't give credit for being halfway good. And God wants all of us. We just heard that preach right there. The, the first commandment, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And I think it was, uh, I think it was uh, Adrian Rogers that said, if that's the greatest commandment, then the greatest sin is to not love 
love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul. And so we see his sin. Verse 4 and 5, we see his struggle here. We find that this newly installed king immediately is met with, uh, with trouble. Misha, the king of the Moabites, he decides to test this new king. Uh, he's been under the heavy hand of Ahab and the heavier hand of Jezebel, probably. And uh, he's been taxed for all these years. And he thought, all right, new king, new administration. It's time to see if I can't get out from under the thumb of, uh, of, of Israel here. And I'm tired of paying all these taxes. And, uh, and so he throws a little tea party here and he thinks he's going to be able to, uh, to get out from under. And so we find that Jehoram is met with these struggles immediately. His authority, his, uh, his power is being, uh, being tested. And then we find in the following verses, not only Jehoram's sin and struggle, but then we see his, his strategy in verse Verse number six. So he decides to uh, do something about the rebellion of, uh, of the Moabites. And so he numbers Israel. And I guess obviously he finds that they are lacking in strength and in size. And so he needs some help. And he calls on Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had helped his daddy. Jehoshaphat had helped his brother. Jehoshaphat was king of the southern territory in Judah. And he was known as uh, somebody that was willing to help uh, in a time of need. I may say more about that here in just a minute, but he calls on Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat uh, is the more experienced of leaders, and so he defers to his uh, strategy, defers to his, uh, his wisdom, and they decide to, the Bible said, circle around or make a seven-day compass, a circuit, if you will, a circular motion. They're going to come around seven days and come around on the south side of Moab, flank them from the south, maybe a surprise attack. And by the way, they're going through the land of Edom, the wilderness of Edom. And so they pick up uh, the support of the Edomites on their way through there. And so you have three kings. Sounds like a Christmas song, don't it? We three kings. You got uh, the king of Israel, that's Jehoram. You got the king of uh, Judah, that's Jehoshaphat. You got the king of Edom, and I don't know his name. And so you have these three kings, and they are going together. Seven days they have marched out into the middle of a wilderness. And that brings us to verse number nine, where we see their situation. Their situation. And this is what I want to look at. The Bible says at the end of verse number nine, after they went this seven days journey, that there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. Uh, the water supply that they were depending upon. Of course, I don't think they went out in the middle of this wilderness thinking that we hope there's water out there. They're probably was some kind of source that, uh, that they were counting on that they assumed would be available for them when they got out there. And so when they did, whatever, for whatever reason, this water source was not available and they've already gone too far. They can't go back. They can't go forward because uh, they would fall into the hands of the Moabites in, in, in their weakness. And so uh, they're actually stuck to die uh, in this wilderness. They were either dead from dehydration or they were going to be dead from defeat 
and by the hand of the Moabites. They were absolutely, and here's what I want you to see uh, this morning, they were absolutely in a desperate place. They were absolutely in a desperate situation. There was nowhere to look. There was nowhere to get any help at all and uh, except from the Lord God. And if you know the end of this story, in fact, I'm going to skip ahead to verse number 20, and I'm going to read this verse where it says, And it came to pass in the morning, when the meat offering was offered that behold there came water by the way of Edom and the country was filled with water aren't you glad we have a God that knows how to give water in the wilderness he knows how to provide what we need when it looks like we can't get it from anywhere else. And I find here that Jehoram immediately when he is in this desperate situation, he is a king that has been raised. He's a man that's been raised by Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel, they are God haters. They are Baal worshipers. They are prophet uh, killers. Uh, they hate anything that has to do with Jehovah God. That's how Jehoram was raised. And immediately when he comes into this desperate situation, Situation. He slanders God in verse number 10. He curses God in verse number 10. He said, Alas, the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. He said, This is the sovereignty of God. He has put us in this place to kill us. Sounds like a guilty conscience talking to me. It sounds like he feels guilty, he thinks this is the judgment of God on his life. But what he's blaming on sovereignty can actually be a attributed really to stupidity, actually. You know, a lot of times we do that, don't we? We, we blame God for our, own, uh, for our own stupidity. Don't you think they could have, you know, maybe sent somebody ahead to check out if there was water, if everything was all right? There was a myriad of things they could have done to avoid this situation. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I do the same thing. I get in there and say, Lord, look what you've done to me. Look, Lord. And when the Lord didn't have nothing to do with it, it was just my own ignorance and my own arrogance. I, I read something, I read a sign the other day that said, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and make bad decisions. <laughs> I, felt, uh, I felt convicted over that, amen. <laughs> and here he is blaming God for something that, uh, that possibly could have been avoided with a little bit of, a little bit of wisdom. And, th- and we see what Jehoram does. He's not thinking of God. He's not thinking about asking God for help. He's not thinking of, of God at all except in negative ways, having uh, ill thoughts of God and, 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 and attributing bad things to, uh, to the judgment of God. But we've already read, and you know the end of the story. We know what Jehoram does, but do you see what God does? God still, for this wicked king who slanders God and maligns God, God still provides water in his wilderness. God still gives him that which he does not deserve. And do you know what you call it when God gives you something you do not deserve? You know what you call it when you've gone out on a limb and you've made a mess of everything and you deserve just to die in the wilderness and yet God supernaturally 
Chick-fil-A provides a sustaining resource in the middle of your barrenness. You know what you call that? You call that grace. Amen. There's only one word for that, and that is the grace of God. And I'm glad that God has grace for our desperate places. And I want to preach on that just for a moment uh, this morning before I sit down. Grace in a desperate place. Have you ever been in a desperate situation where there was nothing else you could do and you uh, exhausted all your resources and it might have been your own fault because you didn't listen, you didn't mind God, you didn't acknowledge God in all your ways and let Him direct your paths and you made yourself uh, just, a, just a horrible bed to lie in and yet still God in His mercy and God in His grace and God in His love that we heard preached about from Brother Words just a moment ago still comes by and rescues us and delivers us. I don't know about you, but I've been a recipient of that kind of grace more times than I can even count. And I'm thankful that in our desperate places that God provides His grace. Why would God give this half-hearted, God-slandering, not-so-bright-of-a-king deliverance in His situation? It is the grace of God. And I want you to see in the following verses, starting in verse 11, between, between uh, uh, verse 10 and verse 20, I see uh, how God's grace reached Jehoram in his desperate place. How God's grace reached him in his uh, situation. First of all, I want to note this, that... Uh, that God's grace, I want to see where it came from. Here, here's where it came from. It came from an abiding presence. I want you to see that God's grace came from an abiding presence. Well, Jehoshaphat loves God. Jehoshaphat acknowledges the true and living God. In verse number 11, he did what you're supposed to do when you get in trouble, right? He said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Let's, uh, let's go to, instead of just declaring immediate defeat, instead of just cussing God and slandering God, uh, let's go to God. By the way, you don't have to run from God. You you can run to God when you're in trouble. I don't care what you've done or, or, or where you've been. Listen, always run to God. Don't run away from God. And Jehoshaphat's in the same mess Jehoram's in. And uh, yet, instead of running from God and running down God, he runs to God. And I, I would definitely recommend that, no doubt about it. He said, let's inquire of the Lord by him. And one of the king of Israel's servants said, here's what I'm interested in, said, here is Elisha the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Now that is very interesting to me that they have gone seven days in the middle of the wilderness. This is an army. These are armies that are marching to battle, to do battle against Moab, to get them back in line. Uh, Elisha has just been given that mantle. He has just been, uh, uh, he has just been appointed the, the prophet, if you will, and has been, uh, his, in his charge is all the, the sons of the prophets to deride the circuit and to take care of the, the sons of the prophets at Bethel and Jericho and all these different places. And that's what he's doing. And that's what we find him doing in chapter, uh, chapter number 2. And then in chapter number 4, the following chapter, he's back on his circuit and doing these things. We find him. But it's, it's confusing to me. I thought, what in the world is Elisha doing out here in the middle of the wilderness? What's he doing out here in the middle? 
middle of nowhere. What's he doing? Elisha's not a soldier. Elisha is a prophet. What in the world is he doing out in the middle? In fact, obviously Jehoshaphat didn't know that Elisha was there or he would have said somebody find Elisha. Jehoram didn't know that Elisha was there. The king of Edom doesn't even know who Elisha is probably. None of these kings knew Elisha was there, but somebody knew. Brother Chisholm, I was thinking he's an unnamed servant. We don't have his name right here. The king of Israel, one of the king of Israel's servants said, hey, I, you know what? While we were packing up some stuff and on this journey, we've been marching out here in the wilderness. You're not going to believe who I saw. I saw out here marching around in the middle of nowhere with us, starving to death and, and dying of thirst with us is Elisha. In fact, I circled in my Bible that word here. Elisha is here. Elisha is the means by which God is going to provide them water in the wilderness. God is going to give them sustenance in the middle of their barrenness, in the middle of their dry condition. Elisha is a picture of the grace of God. And it's amazing when they needed grace, here it is. Here it was. He was right there with them the whole time. And can I tell you, isn't it amazing how grace took the journey with them? Grace took the trip with them. They were marching in, in ignorance. They were marching in arrogance. Uh, they were marching outside of the will of God. They were marching outside of uh, the direction of God. And yet it's amazing that grace went with them every step of the way. And grace took the trip. And grace made the journey. And grace went with them. And can I tell you what? Isn't that amazing? Every time you've ever needed the grace of God, here it is. Here it is. You ain't got to look far. You ain't got to go searching long because it's always close by somewhere. You say, what is that? That's the grace of God. You say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. It don't matter. Here's grace. Amen. Here it is. Amen. Makes me want to say, whoop, there it is. Amen. Here it is. Amen. It's the grace of God going with them. Elisha was with him every step of the way. Now, he might have been mumbling under his breath, these bunch of idiots, what are they doing? These bunch of fools, these bunch, I mean, what in the world? But he never spoke up. He never said anything. He never interrupted them. He waited until they needed him, and he was available to help in their time of need. I'm thankful for the abiding presence of God. I don't know how you feel, but I feel like he ought to left me a long time ago. I feel like he ought to packed up and just moved on out many, many, many years ago. But I'm thankful that he is much more faithful to me than I have ever been to him. His faithfulness is always good. His love is always steadfast. And I'm thankful, friend, that he is grace when we need it. He is there when we need it. And we see that grace came from this abiding presence, the man of God traveling with them as they were going out in the, in the middle of nowhere to die. <laughs> oh, man, what a blessing. Uh, they thought they were done, but some unnamed servant recommended them, said, hey, I, I got a recommendation for you, uh, and connected them to grace. And I'm glad we can always find grace in our desperate place. Well, grace came from the abiding presence. But secondly, I saw this, that not only did it come from an abiding presence, but it came through an acceptable person. I want you to see here 
that uh, they, they, they team up, these three kings, uh, not of Orient, but of Israel and Judah, Jehoshaphat. They come to Elisha, verse 12, verse 13. I, lo- I love this. Elisha said unto the king of Israel, what have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of I, I love that. Man, I, I read that the other day and I thought, man, that's something I always wanted to say when I was pastoring. It's like, now you want my help. Why don't you go ask the softball team you've been missing church for? Maybe they'll help you. Okay, for the record, I never said that. I'm just saying I always wanted to. All right. Now, Elisha said it. <laughs> I read some commentators that thought he was out of the will of God for saying that's why he needed the minstrel. He needed somebody to calm him down. He needed somebody to play something, calm him down. I don't know. I don't know if he's out of the will of God or not. I don't know if I'd have been out of the will of God for saying that. Amen. I always wanted to say that. But anyways, verse, 14, uh, verse 13, and of course, he's still slandering God. <laughs> He's called, the Lord's called these things together to deliver the hand of him. It's amazing. He ain't got a clue what God's doing. I mean, he ain't even got a clue. Verse 14, Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely, listen to this, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee, nor see thee. You see what Elisha told him? He said, you better be glad you brought Jehoshaphat with you. Because if you wouldn't have brought Jehoshaphat with you, I wouldn't even... You'd be talking to the hand right now. <laughs> he said, if you, if you hadn't even brought Jehoshaphat... He said, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said anything. I, I wouldn't have said anything to you. I would not have helped you at all. But it was because, it was because Jehoshaphat was there that Jehoram standing in the sight of Elisha changed. He was able to get the help that he needed because he brought along an intercessor. He brought along an interceder. He brought somebody that Elisha would recognize. Mm, I don't know. I'm gonna, I don't know about you. That sounds a little bit like Jesus to me. I, man, I'm getting a whiff of the gospel in here. Y'all smell that too? Man, that's how I thought jumping Jehoshaphat. That's Jesus, amen. I know, good gracious, man, it looks like Jesus to me. You know what? I don't deserve anything from God. Man, God shouldn't even look my direction. But the only reason he's given me anything, the only reason God has anything to do with me, and the only thing God has anything to do with you, it has nothing to do with you at all. It has everything to do with Jesus. In fact, God would say the same thing about us if it were not for Jesus. I wouldn't look your direction. I wouldn't have anything to say to you. But I'm glad when I come into his presence, I'm not there in my own name. But I have made my way into the throne room in the name of somebody else. And I can get grace and help in a time of need because I'm there in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful. I'm not acceptable to him. But there is somebody that is acceptable. There's somebody who the the heart of God delights in so much. And that's who I am hid inside of. I approach him and get grace because I come in his name. 
Josh Bad is such an interesting character. He's a great, he's a great picture of Jesus. He really is because Joshua was Joshua was a great king. Joshua was, he, he, I mean, you read about him. I mean, he did everything that was right, seemingly in the sight of God, and he was blessed of God for things. Joshua had one hang up. He had one. He had one thing that just really. He had one negative. I mean, he's a great guy. You know, a lot of people they're really great, but they just got one problem. You know, I don't know anybody like that. But <laughs> most people they have a million problems. But the, the Josh Fett was. He had one issue that really you can. He had one blemish on his record, if you will. Jehoshaphat's issue was that he could not say no to sinners. He couldn't do it. Man, he served God, he loved God, he put away idols. But Ahab, all he had to do was say, Hey, Joshua, I need your, I need your help. And you know what Joshua did? And, and, man, he'd go and join himself and help old Ahab out. And then he did it with Ahaziah, his son. And then he did it with Jehoram, Ahab's other son. That's the only hookup that Jehoshaphat had. He could not say no to sinners. Every time, every time a wicked king needed his help, he'd say, All right, here I am. What do you need? He said, I'll be with you. Your armies are my army, my horses, your horses, whatever you need. I'll do whatever you need. And I know, listen, on a practical level, listen, we ought to not be unequally yoked together. Please don't think I'm messing that up at all. Jehoshaphat shouldn't have done it. I'm not saying he should have done it at all. But all I'm saying is, I couldn't help but think, that sounds a lot like Jesus, amen. He's perfect in every way, but man, there's something about the heart of Christ that cannot say no to a sinner when they come and say, I need your help. I need your help. I need your grace. He always says, all right, here I am, amen. And here comes Jesus with his grace again. He just couldn't, you know, it's amazing. And you know what? He was, Joshua was judged for it. God judged him for his association with Ahab. I thought, man, God judged Jesus because he associated with me. In fact, that's what the name Jehoshaphat means. It means the one who God judged. Not judge is, but past tense, judged. That's what the name Jehoshaphat means. And I thought, I couldn't help but think about Jesus when I read that. I thought, man, I'm so thankful he was willing to enter into my condemnation. He was willing to enter into my judgment. He was willing to do for me what nobody, he was willing to associate with me when nobody else would get in there with me. And he took the blame. He took the judgment. He took the punishment for helping me out. Amen. Man, that's Jesus right there. That's how, our, that's how grace came to Jehoram. It wasn't because of him. It wasn't because of anything he was. It wasn't because he was such a great person. But it came through the merits of another, through the merits of somebody else. Grace came from an abiding presence, Elisha. Grace came through an acceptable person, Jehoshaphat. And then I want you to see this, and I'm done, and... Grace came as an abundant provision. And this is really the definition of grace, isn't it? We find, and I'm skipping a few things here for sake of time, but you'll find here that verse number, verse number 17, For thus saith the Lord, here's, here's Elisha's word to him, Ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. Remember, that's grace right there. They don't deserve that. But God's given it to them anyway. And look what he says in verse 18. He says, and this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. That thing that's so heavy to you, that thing that's weighing heavy on your mind, that's just a light thing to God. Amen. 
And you know what? Elijah said, you ain't seen nothing yet. In fact, God's not only going to give you what you've asked for. God's not only going to give you what you desperately need to survive, but God is going to give you a complete victory over the Moabites. He said uh, that he will deliver the Moabites into your hand. Ye shall smite every fence city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop all wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. You know what that is? That is complete victory. He said, I'm not just going to give you grace that you need to survive. I'm going to give you grace so you can have the utmost and the highest and the most complete victory in your life. And that is the very definition of grace. He's not just giving us what we need to scrape by. He said, I'm not just going to give you a drink so you can make it back home. He said, I'm going to give you what you need and I'm going to give you a complete victory over your enemy. Isn't that the kind of God that we serve? That'll take a bunch of idiots like us who make the biggest blunders and the biggest mistakes, slander the good name of God, and he says, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to help you out anyway. (laughs) And I just want to thank God for grace that's come to me in my most desperate of situations. Father, we love you. We're thankful.